0: So uh, here's a story that's played out a lot um, over the years. Um, it's not anyone's story in particular, but it is a story that I'm very familiar with uh, for a lot of different reasons. And the story goes something like this. You have a, a, some parents who raise their kids you know, right from wrong and to make good choices, who understand that that their kids aren't always going to be with them. and At some point in time, they have to just make the right decisions when they are with their friends. Now one of the things in particular that this set of parents has talked to their kids about is the 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 reality of drinking, particularly underage drinking. And so this child understands that it is a expectation of their parents that they not participate in that. Yet they go out one night with their with their goes out with these buddies and a bunch of sixteen year olds hanging around. And they go and one guy has a fake ID, they get some alcohol, they start drinking. They're not drunk, but they drink enough to start doing dumb things and start having dumb thoughts. And one of the thoughts they have is, hey, you want to be really cool? Let's go over to fill in the blank of the high school, big rival, and let's destroy their stadium. Let's go vandalize. Wouldn't that be fun? Normal people go, um, no. A bunch of teenage boys who've been drinking go... Where's the car? And so, after they've been drinking, they get in the car, drive to their rival's high school, and they start vandalizing the stadium. Right? And then they get caught. And the police are called. And then they are escorted to the police station. Where the police call the school officials and their parents. And they have to sit and wait while their parents come to pick them up. Now, I know some kids and this is just being honest, that their whole thought process would just be, I don't care. But not every kid's that way. And so imagine you're a 16-year-old, your parents walk in, they don't even look at you. They go straight to the, police, to the, the, the room that's been set up for them, where they meet with a policeman and school officials. And after what seems like an eternity... Because, you know, we've all been 16 and the hammer's going to drop, right? And time just slows, like, down, right? You know, because you know it's going to be bad, but you just, you know... Parents come, they don't say a word. They just point and do this. And they start walking to the car. And I I learned as a parent uh, that sometimes saying nothing was better than saying something. And... And so these parents are, are, you know, they're walking out. And they finally, the, the mom turns to their son and says, too mad to talk to you right now. Needless to say, never in my life I've been so disappointed in a human being. Like I am right now. And that's all she says. Until the bottom drops out. Now, that's not an actual story. Uh, but, in, but it is. A real story, and it's a story that I'm familiar with because I know a lot of kids who've been in that situation. Uh, I've had to talk to a lot of parents who had kids in situations like that in my youth ministry days. And what it is is it's an example of something we deal with every day, and that's disappointment. Right? I mean, we deal with disappointment every day. So disappointment is defined as a, f- a failure to fulfill expectations, wishes, or desires. Right? In other words, disappointment happens when someone doesn't live up to the expectations you have for them. If you have kids, you've experienced this as a parent. On big levels, maybe, and certainly on small levels. But let me tell you this. If you're a kid and got parents, you experience this too. On big levels and small levels. If you have friends, you've experienced this. If you're, basically, if you're human, you understand disappointment. You understand what it is when someone doesn't fulfill the expectations. Because it happens in every walk of life that we deal with. Um, I mean, look at it. And, and the funny thing is it goes both ways, right? We've been disappointed in our parents. They've been disappointed in us. We've been disappointed in our kids. They've been disappointed in us. We've been disappointed in our community. community might have been disappointed in us somewhere along the way. Dis- disappointed with your spouse goes both ways. Disappointed at work with your boss. Well, if you're a boss and you've had people work with you, you probably had to be disappointed in your employees too. It floats both ways. And here's the thing. It is entrenched in who we are. Having to deal with disappointment. Now, for me, there, I am wired... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little different. I'll just say that. But here's the thing. If I were to say something from the stage that bothered you, was biblical... <laughs> and you got mad at me, I'm, t- I'm just being honest, I'd sleep like a baby. I gonna I mean, I'd sleep like a baby and I wouldn't worry about it. If I did something on a personal level that disappointed you, man, I, couldn't, I wouldn't be able to sleep until I fixed it. I-, I just wouldn't be able to sleep because nobody wants to be disappointed in someone and no one wants someone disappointed in them. And so then we have a relationship with Jesus, right? If you're a Christian, have a relationship with Jesus and we start thinking about all these things, we think about the life, we live, we think about things we've done, and we go, you know, Jesus loves me. He died for me. He rose for me. He's preparing heaven for me. And I just keep messing up. I just keep doing things that I shouldn't do. And here's the problem. The problem is we allow disappointment to to seep into our relationship with God. Now, let me say this up front. There's no room for that in your relationship with God. But we, because it's so entrenched in our relationships, we have been disappointed in someone. We have had someone disappointed in us. Right? We know every spectrum of disappointment. And so we assume that it fits into our relationship with God. So when you look at my life and the things I've done, only one thing can be true, and that's God must be disappointed in me. And He must be disappointed a lot. Because I do a lot of dumb stuff. And so we convince ourselves that a part of the relationship God has with us are layers of disappointment. So we started this series off last week with this premise, that we're going to, and then we're going to stick with this. So here you are. You're at, the, you're at a restaurant. Jesus has invited you. You're walking across the, the restaurant, and there he is, and, and you go from, he's, you're excited that he wants to have dinner with you, to, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Because that's kind of what we do, right? We jump to the worst-case scenario, and so we. But we, you know, we know all this stuff, and and so imagine you sit down and you're and you can't even. Look, you have so much guilt you can't even look up, and Jesus goes, hey, 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 look at me. I, I just want to tell you something, and this is what I believe he would say to you. I believe he would say this: that he, Jesus, can never be disappointed in you. There is nowhere. Let me say this up front. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says that God has ever disappointed in humanity. Not even when He wanted to wipe them out and start over from scratch. Just because it's entrenched in our DNA doesn't mean it's entrenched in God's DNA. And I know it sounds really, really weird, but here's what you need to know. No matter what you do, no matter what you do, no matter how you do it, no matter how bad you mess up, no matter how bad I mess up, it is not possible for Jesus, for God, to be disappointed in you. It is not a part of your relationship with him. And so I believe if he calls us to the restaurant, he would just say, look, we've we got to get rid of this. Between me and you, we've got to get rid of this. And so the question is, how can I be sure? How, how can I be sure? So we're going to kind of talk about today how I can be sure in just a bit. We're going to uh, end up in the life of Peter in just a, in just a few minutes or so. But, but here's the thing. Here's what you need to know. Here's the first thing you need to understand why God can never be disappointed in you. Because God knows everything. God knows everything. God knows everything you do. God knows everything you think. God knows everything you've done. God knows everything you will do tomorrow. God knows Everything. Disappointment comes when people do not fulfill expectations. Okay? When they don't fulfill expectations, which means we expect them to do something. Right? If you're disappointed in someone who, who you have no confidence in fulfilling your expectations, think about that for a second. There's someone in your life, and you know no matter what, they're going to let you down. Stop raising your expectations of them if you got look i got people in my life and i know no matter what happens that they, they're going to do what they do you know what I Accept them for who they are and love them for who they are they're going to let me down so i need to so how can i be disappointing them when i know they're going to let me down how can i be my expectations are really low for them and so God knows everything you will ever do. How can He be disappointed in you when He knows you're going to fail? How is it possible? Think about this. Think of God before, in the the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, God knew Eve would would, um, give in to a snake. She knew Adam would give in to Eve. She knew it. You know what? Still created a garden for Him. Hung out with him. God knew Moses was going to kill an Egyptian. God knew that he was going to later disobey him in the wilderness. God knew that was going to happen, right? Still chose Moses. God knew David was going to have an affair with a married, uh, with a married woman. And then to cover it up, he was going to have that man, that man killed, who was his friend, by the way. I mean, we, we kind of forget this about this whole thing with David. And one day we'll do a deep dive into his life. That dude was his friend. And he had him killed to cover up his sin. Because he thought he'd get away with it. Never, ever, ever in the Bible does God take back the statement that David is a man after his own heart. Ever. Despite this. And he's called him this knowing what he would do. David knew Solomon was going to turn his back on God excuse me, God knew Solomon to turn his back on God, and God knew that Judas Iscariot would betray him. Still picked him, chose him, poured three years of his life into him. You see, here's the deal. God knew Moses, despite what Moses did, despite the, the failures that Moses had, here's what we know about Moses. The Deuteronomy tells us that he walked in with God like no person on the planet ever has. Moses had a relationship with God that no human being had before or has had since, despite his failures. David, man after God's own heart, no matter what. Moses, Ten Commandments. I mean, this, just because we people fail doesn't mean that God is disappointed. God knew everything they would do. God knew that Solomon was going to one day get so smart and so caught up in himself that he'd turn his back on him. Because that's what he tells us. God, Solomon literally turns his back on God. God speaking, he turns his back on him. Still, he made him the smartest, richest man to ever walk the planet. No what he would do. It is not possible for God to be disappointed in you because he already knows everything you're going to do. He knows everything. Disappointment comes when when people don't do what we what we think they're going to do. He knows what we're going to do. Disappointment is not a part of our relationship with God. So from His perspective, so we need to remove it from our perspective. Peter, one of my favorite people in the Bible. Peter is a colossal mess. And if there's anyone in the Bible that I think I'm a kindred spirit with, it's this guy. He, he just he messed up. He messed up a lot. So, so let's consider his path, okay? Peter was chosen by Jesus to be a disciple, okay? He was, not only was he a disciple, a follower, but he was one of the three people on the planet closest to Jesus, okay? So when, if you have close friends, and people say, well, you shouldn't have close friends. Here's all you say. Jesus did. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Jesus had 12 guys he spent his life with, but he had three guys he poured his life into in a different level. Okay, it just was. And Peter was one of those guys. Now, Peter tried to convince Jesus along the way that the cross was a terrible idea. When he said, I'm going to die, Peter goes, no, 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 no. no. That's a terrible idea, Jesus. You shouldn't do that. Peter walked on the water, right? cool. By the way, show of hands, if anyone has walked on water before. That's what I thought. All right. He walked on water. That's awesome. You know what else he did? He failed Jesus in an epic way. Because he just stopped paying attention to him. At one point in time, uh, Jesus tells Peter to so says, Get behind me, Satan. Um the night Jesus was arrested, Peter pulled out a sword and was willing to die for Jesus. And we forget about that. He whips the sword out and he starts swinging away, and he better be glad he's a terrible swordsman, or it'd have been a lot worse. Swung for a neck, got an ear. I don't know how that happens. Um, But when you swing for a neck and get an ear, you are not good with a sword. All right. But you know what? He was willing to die for Jesus. And a few hours later, he pretended he didn't know him. He was an epic failure in every way imaginable. And Jesus already had a history with Peter, and do you know what Peter would do in the future? And so when he gathers with, with Peter in Matthew chapter 16, he says this to Peter. So, so let me set this up for you. Jesus is gathered with the disciples, and he says, all right, look, people are talking about me, Who's everyone who say I am? They start going through all the list of who people say he is. And he says, what about y'all? What, what do you think? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Now, he didn't know where that came from. God revealed that to him. And so then Jesus says this, to the, to the colossal failure, he says this, I say that you are Peter, which he changed his name, it was Simon, and upon this rock, not Peter, but the rock of who Jesus is, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So, let me paint this picture before I read anything else. The night Jesus died, Peter fought for Him, and then in fear, pretended He didn't know Him. Peter would fail Jesus in every possible way as a follower. He, he, just, he just messed up all the time. Yet despite that, Jesus says to Peter, look, here's There's this thing coming. After my resurrection, that by the way, I am going to die. You're not going to stop that. And I'm going to be from the dead. And there's this old thing called Pentecost. And it's 50 days after the resurrection. Oh, on Pentecost, you launch the church. And you're going to do it. To the, to the guy who had messed up and messed up and messed up, he said, when the church starts, I'm going to give you the key station. Crank that car up and roll. Same guy, spent his life as a colossal failure. God trusted him in Rome when the Romans were being persecuted by Nero, who was a psychopath. That's a whole other story we don't have time for. Nero was a complete and total psychopath. Okay, if you want to we talk about psychopaths in our culture, study Nero. He was nuts. And he was killing Christians because he realized killing Christians. He he wanted to, Nero wanted to rebuild Rome. But he couldn't just tear buildings down. So Nero starts burning down Rome. And you got to blame somebody, right? You know, he blames the Christians. Opened the Pandora's box for persecution of Christians. All because he wanted to build some buildings. And it just went from there. And it's Peter, this guy who fails all the time, that God trusted with this message to the church in Rome. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials which, are going, which you are going through as, some, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ and His suffering, so you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it's revealed to all the world. The guy who messed up over and over and over, who always seemed to take the path of least resistance, said to the church in Rome, hey, you know what? You're being persecuted. It's not an entirely terrible thing. Be glad that you're worthy to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. How can God be disappointed in you when He knows you're going to mess up? How can God know? How can God be disappointed in you when He knows that when you go to work tomorrow, you might do something you're not supposed to do? But He already knows. Now, this is not the same thing as disappointment with behaviors. This is, let me say this, this is not a pass, well, if God's not going to be disappointed in me, I can do what I want. Well, God knows you're going to do that too. It's not a free pass to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, whenever you want. There are still consequences for sin. And there are still consequences for our behavior. But one of the consequences we don't have to deal with is God's disappointment in us. Because He knows everything about us. Beyond that, god the second thing we need to understand is God created you. He made you. We're told in Genesis, we're made in in the image of God. Only people. So this way, the psalmist talks about The 139th Psalm, David says this. For you you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, David says, before I could make a mess of my life, you made me to fit with you. Looking back, before I just totally messed everything up, you were so connected that you implanted your DNA into me. I love the way the message says it. Listen to this. Oh, yes, you shape me inside first, then out. You form me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, your breathtaking body and soul. I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. This is the part I really love. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. All the stages of my life. Everything. He knew everything before David was even took a breath. The days of my life all prepared before me, I even lived before I lived one day. How can I say God can't be disappointed in you? Because He made you. And He made you to fit with Him. And He made you in His image. David tells us, when before we took a breath, He knew knew everything. He knew everything. Once again, let me say this. This is not a pass to do what you want. There's still real consequences in life. I'm telling you right now, if you get in the car and drive to Savannah today, and you drive 105 miles an hour up 21 or down 21, over, however, I'm still directionally challenged over here. I'm telling you right now, you're probably gonna get a ticket, and God ain't gonna get you out of that ticket, and God's not gonna make you not pay for that ticket. And so you go study for a test, or you don't study for a test, and you go up, kids, the night before, and you pray, God, 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 I promise, I need you to do, I need you to get me through this. He might not, because you didn't do what you're we supposed to do. There's still expectations for how we live and who. Live for and how we live still matters. Okay? This has to do what you want. Just because God can't be disappointed in you doesn't mean God doesn't have expectations for us. Clear boundaries He's established for us. Boundaries to keep us safe, boundaries to keep us faithful, boundaries to keep us obedient. Clear boundaries. Problem is, we go outside those boundaries all the time. And before He created the boundaries, He knew that we would. So God knows everything, and God created us. But ultimately, here's the question, how can I know for sure? How can I know for sure? And if you still have any doubts, this is the trump card. Because he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you before we ever had an opportunity to let him down. Now think about that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The book of Galatians tells us when the right when the time had fully come, He sent Jesus into the world. In other words, in the beginning, God knew Jesus, that He was going to create the Garden of Eden. He knew Adam and Eve were going to fail. He knew that Jesus, was going to, that the man was going to sin. He knew that He was going to have to send a Redeemer into the world. That God would come in human form in the, in the person of Jesus and give His life for us. He knew everything we would do before we did it and still sent Jesus to die for us. How can God be disappointed in me when he sent his son to die for me? How is that possible? Now, the struggle we have is this. We're still disappointed in people. Disappointment's a part of our relationships, okay, with other people. People are going to let us down. We're going to let people down. That's going to happen. So if you walk out of your day thinking, okay, disappointment's out of my life, that is not what I'm saying. You should walk out here understanding of whatever I do, God will not be disappointed in me because He sent Jesus to die for me. But He still wants me to give my best for Him and to Him. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, While we were still sinners, while we were a mess, while we messed up, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's what He tells us. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows your strengths, your weaknesses. He knows your passions. He knows your your good judgment. He knows your lack of good judgment. He knows everything about you. How can he be disappointed in you? On a personal level, think of it this way. Parents, you have kids. They mess up. And sometimes they mess up, and it's epic. And I'm glad my mom's not here today to tell stories. Sometimes it is huge. You know, I never, ever thought for one second. My brother and I, we never thought of this for one second. There was never a moment my parents didn't love me. There were lots of disappointment. Ho, whole, whole lot of disappointment. But there was never a moment my parents didn't love me. Never a moment. Never a second. And while it's true, there's never a second that God doesn't love us. The reality is, there's never a second that he's disappointed in you. He knows what you are. He knows who I am. The priest has sent Jesus to die for us. So, for me, the message is simple. If he can't be disappointed in me, I'm going to do my best to live my life worthy of that. I'm going to try to live my life in a way that's worthy of this love and grace he gives me every day. I'm going to do better. And when I don't, I'm going to ask him to forgive me. And he will forgive me. But I don't have to worry about him being disappointed in me. Because the proof is the cross. So here you are. You're, you're, you're there and, and Jesus tells you he can't be disappointed in you and you're really struggling with this. So then he, just, then he says, look, here's, here's, this is all I want you to do. I just want you to do this. Come to me. All of you who are weary, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Disappointment is a heavy burden. And it just weighs you down. And Jesus just wants us to know that that's not a part of our relationship. And that's a burden that he wants to take off of us. The question is, will you allow him to do it? Lord, it is a tough it's a tough thing to, 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 to grab a hold of sometimes. a tough thing to accept that no matter what we do, you can't be disappointed in us. And it's hard for us because we are disappointed in people every day. And we have been a disappointment to people every day. It's entrenched in who we are. And we know what we've done. We know the mess we've made of our life. Yet you sent Jesus into the world. You created us in your image. You know every detail of our lives. So Lord, I, for if there's anyone here or anyone we know, we can talk to this burden with this disappointment because they think you're disappointed in us. That is a burden we were not created to carry. So I pray that you will help us to lighten our, that load. Because that's why you came to the cross to lighten our load. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.